0: Welcome to the Ravages History Podcast. About 3,300 years ago in Syria, one of the first ever properly recorded battles took place. To give you an idea of how long ago this is, remember about 1,500 years ago the Western Roman Empire collapsed. 2,000 years ago saw the start of our own calendar, as well as the fall of the Roman Republic. Two and a half thousand years ago, Leonidas led his 300 Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae, and Rome was sacked for the first time, marking the moment from when we start getting reliable sources for ancient Rome. 2,800 years ago is the traditional date for the first ever Olympic Games, and when Rome was founded. These two last events are mythical events, We don't know the true date that Rome was founded, and the first Olympics are events that have their origins attributed to the gods. 500 years, or half a century before this, is when we're talking about today. The battle is known as the Battle of Kadesh, which was the name of the ancient city nearby the battlefield in modern-day Syria. Back then, Syria was the main crossroads for three continents, where trade routes from Europe, Asia and North Africa met, and whoever controlled the region would control those lucrative trade routes. Contesting the region now was the Egyptian Empire and the Hittite Empire. Although this latest incarnation of Egypt, the New Kingdom of Egypt, or the Egyptian Empire as we'll be calling it, was only a few hundred years old, the earliest Egyptian dynasties and the culture of the region spread back for thousands of years, as far back as 5000 BC. A series of clay tablets known as the Armana letters, consisting of mostly diplomatic correspondence between the Egyptian administration and its representatives in regions to the north, give us a really good impression of what was happening with Egypt's power around that area, which is around Monday, Israel, Jordan and Syria over the previous hundred years or so. What had been happening was that Egypt had been losing interest and so losing power. Then came Pharaoh Seti I, a strong military commander who turned Egypt's interest back towards the northern regions. He wanted to restore Egypt's empire to the days of the Tutmosis kings, almost a century before. His campaigns are written about on temple walls and record the fighting that took place in Canaan, which is sort of one day Lebanon, Israel, Palestinian territories, the western part of Jordan, and southwestern Syria. This was followed up by campaigning deeper into Syria along the Mediterranean coast. For the Egyptians, the fighting was successful. He'd taken 20,000 men and reoccupied abandoned Egyptian posts and garrisoned cities, including Kadesh, before making an informal peace with the Hittites. Fighting alongside him was his son and heir, Ramesses II. Now, although the Egyptians had managed to capture Kadesh, at some point afterwards it fell back into the hands of the Hittites, though we don't know how or when that happened. So who were the Hittites? Around 300 years before this time, they established an empire that was made up of most of modern-day Turkey and northern Syria, and at the time of the Battle of Kadesh, were led by the king Muwatali II. Now, the sources are very heavily on the Egyptian side, but a lot of works available on the battle do not purely support the Egyptians, with modern historians taking a lot of the bias out of it. But because it's the Egyptians whose records survived, these biases are there in the sources. So if it does feel like I'm coming down on the Egyptian side, all I can say is sorry and remember that even the sources that tell us about the number of Hittites at the battle are Egyptian. In 1279 BC, Ramesses II was crowned pharaoh, and five years later, in 1274 BC, he launched his invasion of Syria. Pharaohs were demigods, and Ramesses was determined to be the greatest pharaoh Egypt had ever seen. He was young, crowned sometime in his late teens, and for someone who lived so long ago, we actually know a fair amount about this guy since he loved to have statues made of himself and carvings of his achievements inscribed up and down the Nile. We even have his mummified body. And thanks to the writings of Ramesses, we know that for the coming fight, Muwatali called on soldiers from all over his empire, with 19 different peoples being named, some of whom come up in Greek writings about the Trojan War and the Battle of Troy. Battles before this time were common, but they were on much smaller scales. The technology and understanding of tactics and communications in battle made larger scale battles almost impossible to properly coordinate. So the army put together by Muatali was one of the largest ever fielded by the empire. It consisted of between two and a half thousand and three and a half thousand chariots, though possibly even more, and forty thousand infantry. And he knew Ramesses was coming since Ramesses had not made his intentions to invade Syria and recapture Kadesh a secret. His spies would have told him about the character of the young pharaoh, a man who thought he could do anything, who thought he was a god living among humans, who thought he was invincible, but maybe most importantly, who was in a hurry to prove himself. Ramesses was not at all afraid of the Hittites, who he called the effeminate ones because they had long hair. The force Ramesses was leading into Syria was made of what we would describe today as four divisions, or troops, each named after a different god. He also had another troop that's not very well documented who had been left in a region very close to Kadesh, along the coast. They were called the Niarin. Ramesses had fewer chariots, just 2,000, and less infantry, around 16,000. Now, let's talk about those chariots. To be a chariot rider was the top job in the army, filled with prestige and offering great rewards. It was designed for two jobs. One was as a mobile firing platform, since it carried two men, a driver and an archer, and the other was to smash into enemy infantry and break them. It carried two different weapons depending on what job it was doing, a composite bow for the former and a spear for the latter. The Egyptians had better chariots, which were lighter and more manoeuvrable than their Hittite counterparts. Ramesses began his march into Syria, but his army was strung out over many miles. This was part by design and part because, like I said before, such large-scale battles were so rare the army didn't really know how to keep such huge numbers together. But it was working for them since it allowed the smaller groups to live off the land more easily. So we have four troops of around 4,000 men each, and they were supported by at least 500 chariots each. And then there was the fifth troop moving up the coast, a separate entity who we think was sent to secure a port not too far from Kadesh. If you remember back to my first podcast, and we talked about the formation of the Romans with their recruits in the front line and their veterans in the back, it was the opposite in the Egyptian army. They had their best veterans in the front, and their newest recruits in the back, and they formed an early kind of phalanx, armed with long spears, though nothing as advanced as the hedgehog phalanxes used by the Greeks and Macedonians, that wouldn't be seen for another 700 years or so. In late May, Ramesses was less than seven miles from Kadesh, when he met two nomads who told him that the Hittites were, quote, in the land of Aleppo, on the north of Tunip, end quote. This was modern-day northern Syria, near the border with Turkey, more than 120 miles from the Egyptians. The nomads told the Egyptians the Hittites were too afraid to face them and the pharaoh to come south and meet them. Ramesses was eager to capture Kadesh, and he marched his Amun troop at a far quicker pace than the other three troops. But suddenly, Egyptian scouts returned to the camp one day with two captured Hittite prisoners. It turned out the nomads were Hittite spies who had lied to the Egyptians. The spies were captured and brought back to the Egyptian camp where they were beaten and tortured until finally one of them broke and revealed the entire Hittite army and the Hittite king were actually very close. Ramesses was in trouble. He only had a quarter of his army with him, the Armun troop, who were now busy setting up defences around the camp. Ramesses didn't know exactly where the Hittites were, but we do they were on the other side of the river that Ramesses' camp was set up near to, with Ramesses on the western side and the Hittites on the eastern. So now the pharaoh desperately sent dispatches to his other troops south of his position to get to his camp as quickly as possible. But they were two spread out, with several miles between each one. One troop was a bit closer at hand, the Ra troop, and it was marching along the top of a tributary of the river that Ramesses was camped at further north. The Ra troop was stretched out in a long line, maybe up to two miles long. They were only interested in reaching their pharaoh as quickly possible, so they did no scouting and had not organised any defence for their badly exposed flanks. Now this is where Kadesh becomes an important battle. Up until this point, the recordings of previous battles have all been this battle happened here at this day, and if we're lucky, we have some numbers to give us an idea of how many soldiers fought. But thanks to Ramesses, we have detailed records of exactly what happened, including the tactics used, which is just unheard of before this date. So, as the middle of the Ra column marched beyond the city of Kadesh, the Hittite chariots launched their attack. They'd already crossed both the river and the tributary, and smashed into the unsuspecting Ra troop, who were too spread out to organise any kind of defence. The troop of infantry was almost completely destroyed, and from a military point of view, it basically was destroyed. The few survivors fled to the Amun camp, but they were chased by the Hittite chariots all the way. But it wasn't just the surviving infantry and Hittites heading for Ramesses and his camp. The chariots of the Ra troop had mostly survived, being at the head of the column they were able to break off from the ambush and get to his camp before the Hittite chariots. But there hadn't been much time and the Hittite chariots hit the defensive wall of infantry guarding the camp, breaking through easily and entering it. Ramesses describes himself as being deserted and surrounded by enemies writing quote, "no officer was with me no charioteer no soldier of the army no shield bearer" end quote. but now the hittite chariots were bogged down they were great in the open but now surrounded by tents they couldn't maneuver and were totally surrounded by infantry unable to get away the only infantry around were egyptian since the hittites had made the same mistake as ramesses a few days before The chariots, so eager to push their successful attack and advance so quickly, that the Hittite infantry had been left miles and miles away. Now trapped in the Egyptian camp, the chariots had no support. Egyptian archers took position on the edge of the camp and began firing on the chariots, while the infantry grabbed the long hair of the Hittite riders, pulling them to the ground and killing them. Ramesses found himself fighting for his life, but managed to bring together units and led charges against the chariot lines. They then took control of the Egyptian chariots, whose greater manoeuvrability meant they could move around in the camp and launched attacks against the Hittite chariots again. After intense fighting, most of the Hittite chariots and their riders had been slaughtered. A few survivors managed to break away and retreat back to the river, while Egyptian chariots pursued them. But the Hittite king, Mawatali, still had the large force of reserve chariots and all those infantry that had been left behind during the first attack. He also held the wars of Kadesh. Seeing his retreating men reach the river, he ordered his reserve chariots to counterattack against the Egyptians, but were told that just as the Hittites launched their counterattack, right at the crucial moment, the fifth Egyptian troop, the Nirin, who had been placed along the coast to the north, arrived. This shocked the Hittites, who had no idea this extra troop even existed, let alone that they were coming from the north rather than the south. The tide of battle suddenly changed, and with these extra chariots they managed to practically surround the Hittite counterattack. The only real way the surrounded Hittites could survive was to abandon their chariots and swim across the river, back to their main army. And that's exactly what they did. According to several hieroglyphic inscriptions related to the II... They said the Hittite survivors fled across the river, abandoning their chariots and, quote, swimming as fast as any crocodile, In the end, the 40,000 infantry the Hittites bought for the battle were never used, and Ramesses had fought a battle with only half his army. The result of the battle is hard to work out, and you'll get a different conclusion depending on which historian you read. The Hittites still held the city of Keresh, which the Egyptians couldn't realistically siege. Knowing this... Ramesses gathered his forces and returned to Egypt. We don't know the number of casualties, though there are references that say the Egyptians counted the dead of their enemy by cutting off the right hand of every dead enemy soldier and charioteer, and then counting the number of hands. But no numbers are actually given. When Ramesses arrived in Egypt, he proclaimed that he had won a great victory, though we know that in reality, all he really managed to do was save his army, since he was unable to capture Kadesh. But, In a personal and political propaganda sense, the battle was a triumph for Ramesses. After badly miscalculating and finding himself open to a devastating Hittite chariot ambush, the young king had courageously rallied his scattered troops to fight on, while avoiding death and capture himself. Ramesses II would go on to become one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs, but there are a few surviving records from the Hittite empire that give a very different account as to the outcome of the campaign as a whole painting the picture of a chastised Ramses who was forced to retreat from Kadesh in defeat. Despite the differences of opinion between historians over the outcome of the battle and the greater campaign, there is a general consensus that the battle itself was essentially a draw. Both sides gained something from the fighting. The Egyptians had stopped the years-long steady incursions by the Hittites. While Muwatali and the Hittites may have lost a substantial portion of their chariots, they still held Kadesh. And then they continued campaigning, pushing further and further south, reducing Egypt's sphere of influence in Asia. On top of this, in the areas they still held, revolts broke out, threatening to completely push Egypt's power all the way back to the Nile. But four years after the Battle of Kadesh, Ramesses went on the offensive once again, and this time was far more successful against the Hittites, captured first the city of Dapa, a city whose location is argued over even today, though it's believed it's probably a little north of Kadesh. Secondly, he captured the city of Tunip, more than 100 miles north of Kadesh, and recaptured Syria from the Egyptians, though these too fell back into the hands of the Hittites within a year. The region was too big for the Egyptians to hold, and neither of the two powers could decisively defeat the other in battle. These continuing disputes lasted another 10 years before an official peace treaty settled the matter, bringing peace between Ramesses II and the new Hittite king, Hattusili III. The treaty that was established was inscribed on a silver tablet, of which a clay copy survived in the Hittite capital of Hattusa in modern-day Turkey, and is on display at the Istanbul Archaeological Museum. This treaty is the oldest international peace treaty known in history and today an enlarged replica of the Kadesh Agreement hangs on the wall at the headquarters of the United Nations. Archaeologists have been unable to verify independently any of the events recounted in the Egyptian and Hittite records. Our knowledge of the battle comes entirely from the accounts of Hittite and Egyptian records, which disagree with each other, with each side claiming victory. Details of the battle are reconstructed with reasonable certainty by reconciling the conflicting accounts and that's how we've come to these conclusions. Overall and generally speaking we believe the Hittite side of the story but we can get some really good details from Ramesses's version of events. Well, I hope you all liked this much shorter episode. I'm always open to feedback, so let me know how you feel about the length. Is it too short? Do you prefer the longer episodes? Do you like the mix of both if it means being able to release content every two weeks? I'm pretty active on Twitter now, and you can follow us at at Ravages Podcast, or email us on ravagespodcast at gmail.com. Any feedback, anything at all you want to say, please do get in touch. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.